0: The Wainwright Prize, the stories behind the books, brought to you by PlanetPod. Welcome to this special edition of PlanetPod with me, Amanda Carpenter, celebrating the 2020 Wainwright Prize for Nature Writing and Writing on Global Conservation. We are delighted to be partnering with Wainwright to bring you the stories behind the books with our interviews with this year's shortlisted authors. The Wainwright Prize was founded in 2014 in memory of Alfred Wainwright by Francis Lincoln, the publishers of the famous fell walking series, The Pictorial Guides to the Lakeland Fells. There is a strong link between walking and writing, whether it's striding out across the fells or meandering through woodland, the very act of walking seems to unlock and release creativity. What better way to celebrate and commemorate that most famous of walkers than through this prize? This year's prize has been extended to include a second category for books about global conservation and climate change. And the two short lists reflect the breadth and range of contemporary nature writing, both in the UK and around the world. A Diary of a Young Naturalist has been described as a book set to break the mould of modern nature writing. It chronicles a year in the life of Dara MacAnulty, from spring through the year in his home patch of Northern Ireland, through his connection to wildlife and the way he sees the world. Often raw in its telling. It's a huge pleasure to have Dara on Planet Pod today. Dara, welcome and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's like I was hearing these compliments and I'm kind of going like, oh my God, is this <laughs> true? <laughs> it's <really laughs>
0: embarrassing when someone says it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's all heartfelt and well Oh, so thank you so there. much. So, huge congratulations for being on the shortlist. And it's a wonderful book. And I'm delighted to say that I actually bought it for my daughter. It was on her birthday. <laughs> before we even knew about the Wainwright Prize. So so I ahead of the game. So I wondered if I could just start by asking you a little bit about the book. Um, Okay. What spurred you into writing in the first place? Because you mentioned you did a blog, but but, but when did it start for you, writing about the world around you?
1: Basically, as soon as I could hold a pen and use it in some way proficiently, I was writing down everything that I saw about me. I would be spending all my days creating no matter what like no matter i was doing doodles i was like trying some way to get out what i was trying to say and with what was going on inside my head without actually having to speak any words because or talk to humans because that's always troublesome in its own respect and the great thing about a piece of paper is it can't say anything back to you <laughs> if you can spill out your life and your thoughts and your hope um into a page and you don't expect it to go are you insane back, back in you. Mm. and back at you when I'm writing the only person who could ever do that is really me so basically it was every chance I got I was writing mm. I wrote about my day I've a bunch of diaries uh, I've I have notebooks scattered around the house at the moment, so whenever I get an idea, I just have to write it down. I, my organization skills of my writing is horrific, so the, usually when I'm going down to actually put some stuff together, it's usually a process of going around the house and finding all of the notebooks and then trying <laughs> try to pull stuff together from them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've like when the urge comes to need to write. I just have to get it out very, very quickly. And it's just a part of my life, basically.
0: So why the kind of natural world? Because obviously your dad's a scientist and your mum's a poet and very close to the the world around you. So what is it particularly about writing about nature rather than perhaps writing, I don't know, you know, fantasy stuff, which is what a lot of people do, isn't it? They they disappear in their own world and create a world. You're very kind of observational and connected with the natural world so what sparked the kind of natural bit for
1: you um, i think there was a, a lot of sparks and the fact that we need this many sparks to get involved in the natural world is kind of shocking the fact that i needed all of these different things to come together perfectly to enjoy and love the, and get a connection to the natural world and i and Those included, those were like picking up feathers and conkers and all manner of wild objects out in the park in Belfast or off the pavement. And my parents didn't say, oh, no, that's dirty, put it away. So that allowed me to explore the world around me a lot easier and better. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing that I tell anybody is the natural world is not dirty. I have been picking up feathers for fifteen years. I have been touching um, all manner of strange and weird things, and I have not died of some arcane disease yet. <laughs> so, likelihood is it's probably fine for you. Uh, and it's sparked a real love and connection to the natural world. That's really, really quite special. Mm. And there is this. Other occasion that really set my heart aflame. So it must have been in primary, early primary school. Uh, we had the reintroduction of red kite projects in Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. and I remember the RSPB coming in and talking about red kites. And I spent the rest of the day on one of the computers looking up at birds and red kites and raptors and all of the different birds. I didn't see why they were endangered, how they were endangered, mm-hmm. and. That basically began my love of raptors. And I remember the Red Kites. And I'm really, really lucky now that where I live now is where the Red Kites are originally reintroduced. And so the forest park that is about a two-minute walk from where I am now was where they were originally brought over from Wales. And now they're all over the place. They, I, we did a sat tagging project. I managed to raise some money for um, sat tagging them, and there's all manner of crazy movements from it. It's, it was mind boggling. But, but they
0: breed quite well, don't they, red kites? Once they're, set. yeah, there was
1: some really interesting behaviour as well. It was very, very special because they they realised that um, the red kites were sort of taken in by the buzzards <laughs> for the f- first time, um, but like. Few good few years, the buzzards sort of like um, showed them the ways. <laughs> almost like it, they were adopted. Yeah, basic. It, it felt like because they were like copying the behavior of the buzzards. Um, <laughs> they were confused a lot of people, um, but then we did um, some satellite tagging, uh, and they were going in all manner of crazy. They were they were going off to one side of Ireland and then coming back, mm. and then they were doing this in like a space of a week, going like completely insane. Um, mm. But yeah, that, those red kites were one of the main starting points of my love of raptors. And being able to finally, after a decade, properly be able to see them is really, really special.
0: Mm. I mean, I've read, I haven't read all of the book, but I've read a large part of your book and it seems to me that it flows really seamlessly and evocatively off the pages and and your voice comes across really strongly. I mean, does the writing come easily to you or is it something that you draft and redraft and go back to? Because it feels like it's just flowing almost complete.
1: So I think that comes from the way I write and that is usually write down everything that's going on in my head and then condense it. So I'll write out maybe like twenty pages of absolute rubbish, <laughs> and then slowly bring that down to one page of something that's readable and condensed that I would consider acceptable. Like and then I and then I have to connect all of these aspects of my brain. Uh, most of my writing comes from observation of what I see. Uh, in the world around me. But it also comes from what I read about. Uh, like, so, And then I have to combine those two different aspects mm-hmm. of my writing into something cohesive. So I read a lot of mythology, uh, Norse and Greek and Egyptian and Celtic, because myths are usually like these short stories that have strong um, themes to them. And you could i I just love the way that they seem to interweave with ordinary daily life, and occasionally, I was drawn to this little point that you could actually reread a lot of the Greek myths and take out the supernatural out of them, and they almost still exist from our understanding later on, and I think that. Myths. From that, you can really see how myths build up an understanding of our world around us. And they they were the ways that ancient civilizations used to explain what was going on around them in ways that they couldn't understand at the time. And there's probably stuff that we still very much don't understand at the moment. And we are creating up our own stories to explain it.
0: Yeah, and that's almost like the role of the narrator, isn't it? The the the, the narrative voice is a kind of yeah. interpretation of a wider world. And that's a yeah. lot of what's happening in your book actually is that you're 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 observing things that lots of people would never either get the chance to, or possibly, as you said, wouldn't see because they haven't looked properly. And then you've interpreted yeah. that and it's and explained it and shared it with with the reader in a way that perhaps those those early, you know, writers of the myths did as well. I mean it, Do you find, I mean, why a diary? Because a diary can be quite a restrictive format, can't it? And there can be a kind of pressure on you to keep regular entries. Or did you find that that kind of regularity was actually quite helpful in terms of structuring what you wanted to say?
1: Well, it was, it's actually quite healthy for my life because it meant that I had to go keep on going outside (laughs) and trying to find things to write about, (laughs) which was refreshing. Mm. But I decided to go with a diary format because I wanted to share aspects of my life. And I thought the best way to do that is to just break down everything that goes on in my head from day to day. And from that, it kind of incurred this um, honesty that I had to bring with it because it can't really be a diary entry if it's all false it's, I had to be really honest and that was painful at times and it hurt mm. but I gained a better understanding of myself because of it and it helped me learn aspects about how my mind worked and that was really really important for how I live my life now actually trying to notice the signs of when I'm going downhill at an increasing pace and how to self-write myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's moments of real stress and unhappiness in the book, and, and yeah. the writing seems to function both as a kind of you know, um, release for that, and you talk about nature as being your life support system. Um, yeah. And that sense that the, the, the natural world and the process of writing have helped you come to terms with some of the challenges that you face you know, through your autism and through the, the impact of other people's relationship to you. Is less yeah. less what's going on in your life and more how other people are reacting, so you've said that this has really helped you order things. Have you felt that you've changed and grown as a result of the process are you Are you different now than you were when you started out with writing the book?
1: yeah definitely um and I think when i was I was reading back when I had finished the entirety of the book and I was reading back over I could feel like I could see the change in me there was a, I, There was a definite change in my personality from Mm -hmm. spring to winter Mm -hmm. because spring was all about rebirth growth and almost frivolous frivolity of spring and then in winter i become a lot more contemplative and looking at the world and thinking and meandering and thought and Mm. being really uh retrospective about everything and winter always does that to me. I'm always, I always start thinking a lot more of winter. Um, but I think I realized that I just wanted that I, by the time winter comes around, what I wanted to really do, and like winter was the probably for me my favorite entry, the my favorite section in the book because it was the one where I got to leave summer behind, which was always good, and just spill out everything that was going on in my mind and my observations and how I was thinking about it. And possibly my most favourite entry in the book is Bally No. And I spent about two weeks um, contemplating it and working slowly through that entry... And it was the most exhilarating feeling getting that entry done because I had poured my every ounce of my being into it. Hmm. And it was, I think it was because it touched parts of my life that I had kept almost hidden from myself. And Balino brought it out. And that was really, really special for me.
0: There's a huge amount of craft in what you've been describing, Dara. It's not a process where you just you talked about, you know, writing on every available scrap of paper and putting things down. And, you know, I live with a writer and a poet and I can empathise with that. Every time you turn over an envelope, there's something on the back of it and it's <laughs> no. not just a shopping list. And so there's this sense, there's this real sense of crafting in, in, in how you've just described that and, and how you, your work comes across in the page, as well as being very evocative and very easy to read. It's It's clearly very crafted and there's a lot of references to other work and to poetry and to things you've read and and I think there's a sense of I mean as a reader I get the sense that this is an incredibly mature book um and and one that has a great deal of structure do you find that's that structuring helps you cope with some of those other stresses because clearly there's an enormous amount of stress outside of writing for you in your life um, you know, and some of the challenging things that you've done, whether it's going to school, coping with exams or, you know, amazing things like going to number 10 and, you know, with yeah. Chris Packham and things. Do you find that that structuring helps you too? Does that help you create a sense of balance?
1: Well, when I go to write something, I, I'm, so in my brain, I'm constantly making connections between different things. That's just how I think. And I feel uh, it's a... Uh, Special sort of feeling when I—it's all I've—I've I've kind of sometimes think that my brain is like the London Underground system, and there's like some random um, connections building up randomly in my brain, and I'm trying to connect everything together. But there is a definite structure to how I put everything down, and I'm not entirely sure why I do it. But I require to, I I basically, when I'm writing, I require having to link up many areas of my writing. And and it's one of the, when I'm reading as well, it's one of the great joys I find is when one part of the book links to another part. And I remember reading um, Of Mice and Men, and most of the book, meh, meh. But at the very end, John Steinbeck did something that I really, really, really liked. <laughs> and at the very end of the book, George looks at a fire. Uh, the, this looks at some ashes on the ground. some just some burnt wood. And I realized in my brain that that was the fire that they had lit at the very start of the book. And I that that was uh, i i that and I, that little that's complete circle and that connection yeah. made me uh made my day basically and those connections like when i find them it's like it makes my day instantaneously so when i was writing the book i had to like okay I'm, i've got to make as many references connections um circular motions uh mm. and make it um uh, in my brain work in my brain where I could build up a web of connection and interconnectivity and through that I could build my structure around that and that was the sort of process that I went through writing that writing really that. fascinating
0: really fascinating and it's it's I think that helps your reader too because you're carried on that journey but it's a journey that you know is going to be you know it's not going to be without an end it's actually going to have a a a, a, a sort of a form to it that actually helps readers yeah. through through the work. I mean, you've said quite, you know, and it's often been quoted about you a lot, that you have the heart of a naturalist, the head of a would-be scientist, and the bones of someone who's already wearied by the apathy and destruction wielded against the natural world. That sense of kind of weariness, and 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 I think probably, you know, worry amongst many, many young people that, that we talk to regularly, that we we see, you know, talking about the um, the, the environment. Is is obviously something that's quite a burden to carry. But how are you? Do you have any sort of hope and sense of you know? I guess hopefulness about the future of the planet. I mean, has this maybe helped you think that actually we could do something better for our world and our conservation? Or is it all really a bit bleak? <laughs> I hope it's not well, really a bit bleak. I'm asking that, hoping that you're going to say yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, I have to have hope because hope is what drives me onwards and. I don't think I think hope is almost the wrong word at this point. I think it's determination is what we need. We because hope can lead to hope that someone else will do it for you. I think we need the belief and the determination to be able to do what needs to be done and not hope that other people will do it for us. And that that lesson there was one of the biggest takeaways that i got from the greek myths um where it comes from the pandora's jar story mm. because the the greatest evils in the world were in the jar and, and the only evil that was left in the jar was hope but there was the greek version of hope that meant apathy and hoping that oh it'll just turn out fine mm. um even though the world does not work like that <laughs> doing nothing means that things will never turn out the way that they should. And but you've
0: already inspired people to take action, haven't you? And, and, and people like you and Greta and, you know, y- young people taking to our streets is inspiring. Yes,
1: it's inspiring. And it gives you that determination and the other meaning of hope, which is that hope and belief that we can build a better world, that if we, that along with the determination and the action, we can actually do this. And I think if I didn't have that, then I feel like I would couldn't go on. And like you would just give up and you would feel really depressed. Wouldn't you would go like, oh my god, we can't actually do anything. We're we're all it's all doomed. And I cannot feel like that. Because I know if I that if I do, I'll just fall
0: apart. Yeah. Well, I think you've written a truly inspiring book that's going to make people not only look at the world differently, but um, you know, actually take action and be spurred to make changes to, to make the, the, the planet a better place. So, I mean, it's been a, an enormous pleasure talking well, to you. you. Thank, you, thank so you so much. much. It's been we, oh. we wish you all luck. And, um, you know, it really is a wonderful book um, produced by yeah. Little Toller, published by Little Toller yeah. and I would recommend it to anyone who's listening. Um, because it's I've a,
1: really, really enjoyed this talk.
0: It's a great read.
1: It's actually the first time I've really explored how I, my writing process, like my exact writing process. So I'd like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to actually force myself to explore that. So thank you very much.
0: Oh, well, we <laughs> that we've done that, and it's been fascinating. And thank you for letting us into some of your thinking and your world. And and as I say, it's a terrific book, and everybody should rush out and buy it instantly. So, thank <laughs> <good luck>. you. <laughs> great. To oh, thank you so to. much. Well, thank you. Thanks thank for you. Being on this episode of Planet Pod. <laughs> been listening to the stories behind the books the planet pod series on the wainwright prize 2020 you can find details of all the shortlisted authors on the wainwright prize website or on our planet pod website do look them up and find out more thanks for listening